everyone. Welcome to Dig Deep. Happy New Year. I hope that you all had a very Merry Christmas and that 2018 is off to a great start for you. I don't know about you, but our family practically limped through the holidays. I think we got every little bug that was out there. We got some sort of flu. We had fevers. We had ear infections. We had head colds. We had chest colds. I even ended up with walking pneumonia at one point. So I personally was more than ready to say bye to 2017 and hello to 2018. I am so excited to be back with you today as we continue our series, No Greater Love. And this series is based on John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus says to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so the question we are asking ourselves throughout this series is how then has he loved us? And in our last episode, before Christmas, we looked at how God demonstrated vulnerable love by sending his son, our savior, Jesus, as the most vulnerable creature on earth, a newborn baby. It was actually nine years ago this month that my husband and I drove home from the hospital with our firstborn, our vulnerable little newborn baby girl. And she was all swaddled up in her little bear suit with blankets on top of her and her fancy zip-up car seat cover. And then we snapped that car seat into the car seat base that had been quadruple checked for safety. And we drove her home to our little one-bedroom apartment. And she was asleep in her car seat. So we took her car seat and put it in the middle of the living room floor and we looked at each other like so many couples do and we said, what do we do now? We couldn't believe that the hospital trusted us to actually care for this tiny human being. One of the pieces of advice that they gave us at the hospital is that over time, over the first few weeks, we would get to know our daughter's individual cries. When she was hungry, she would cry one way, or if she was sleepy or needed a diaper change. But I'll be honest with you, we thought all of her cries pretty much sounded the same. So that advice did not help us out a whole lot. But there was one night in the first few weeks that we experienced a truly unique cry. Since we were living in a one-bedroom apartment at the time, we had her crib in our bedroom with us, just a few feet from my side of the bed. And on this particular night, we were jolted awake by the loudest, most alarming cry we had ever heard come out of our baby. It was sudden and loud and sharp. It was a wail of a cry out of nowhere. And as my eyes were snapped open by the sound, I witnessed something truly incredible. Before I could even think, my husband was literally flying through the air over me toward the crib and yelling, baby! He landed next to the crib, and I quickly stumbled out of bed next to him, and we both looked down at our daughter, who lay completely peaceful and fast asleep. And we still don't know whether it was a gas bubble or what, but I got to see an adorable and amazing new side of my husband that night. I saw that when our kid's safety was in question, he somehow developed superhero capabilities. Now, he might forget their names and just yell out a generic baby, but he would spring into action and do anything to protect them. 
As we continue this series today, looking at another facet of God's love for us, we are going to see that Jesus lived out what the Apostle Paul stated about love in 1 Corinthians 13 when he said, love always protects. So our passage for today is Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 15, where we read, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. Now I want to stop there for a moment because the setup of the temple is actually pretty important for our understanding of what comes next in the story. Now, first of all, the whole idea of a temple is a little bit of a foreign concept to most of us, but all ancient religions operated out of a temple model of worship. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, they all worshipped in a temple model. And a temple was simply a sacred place where sacred men taught from sacred texts and people came from far and wide to worship there. Now, when we picture the Jewish temple, it's important that we understand it was made up of a variety of courts. If you can picture a sort of Russian doll kind of situation, there were rectangles inside of rectangles inside of rectangles, each becoming more sacred as you move toward the center of the temple where the altar was. And so that centermost room was called the Holy of Holies, and only the high priest was allowed in that room. The next rectangle outside of that was known as the sanctuary, and only certain priests were allowed there. Beyond that was the court of priests, where any priests could go. Outside of that was the court of men, where any Jewish men were allowed to worship. Outside of that was the court of women, where any Jewish women and children could come and worship God. And outside of that was the court of the Gentiles. That was the largest area in the temple And the court of the Gentiles was where this scene with Jesus takes place. So we'll come back to why that's important in just a minute. But going back to verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So what is going on here? What is going on in the temple? Well, these merchants and money changers set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. And like I said, that was the largest and most public area of the temple. And people from all over the known world would travel to the temple and would need to exchange their foreign currency. And in many cases, they would also need to purchase the animal for their sacrifice, for their worship. And so to pretty much everyone there that day, this must have seemed completely normal to them. They probably didn't sense anything scandalous or strange about the scene. But when Jesus walks in, he gets angry. He overturned tables and he's flipping over benches. And Jesus didn't do this timidly. I have seen this depicted in some old school movies. And Jesus is like gently walking over and he carefully tilts a table up until all the coins sort of slowly slide off onto the ground. No, that is not what's going on here. In the Apostle John's account of this interaction, he adds this juicy detail in John chapter 2 verse 15. So Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts. Did you catch that? Jesus made a whip out of cords. Listen, 
Jesus looked around and asked himself, what can I make into a weapon? When my husband and I became parents, not only did Ben seem to develop supernatural gifts like the gift of flight, we both also became a little more prone to ask ourselves this question, what can I make into a weapon? And usually it's in the middle of the night when we hear a strange noise in the house. And in a matter of seconds, I have created a whole Jack Bauer-esque plan in my head. My heart is pounding and I think, all right, I'm going to grab this lamp and I'm going to go hide behind that door. And you guys, listen, Ben has one of those collapsible police baton things in his nightstand. So do not sneak up on us at night or we will bust your kneecaps. Why? Why do we do stuff like that? Because we get creative when it comes to protecting the ones that we love. When I think about Jesus in the temple, I do wonder what the disciples were thinking. In both accounts of this event, the disciples don't say a word. But I believe that they would have thought that what the money changers and the salesmen were doing was completely normal. It had most likely been that way their whole lives. It was just the way things were. And I wonder if they were pretty confused thinking, okay, this rabbi we've been following who continues to show love and grace and hospitality to people that we would never have been comfortable around just made a whip out of some cords that he found and is using it to drive people and animals out of the temple, and he's knocking a bunch of stuff over. Jesus is mad. And I imagine the disciples must have been asking themselves, why is he so mad? I believe Jesus tells us in verse 17, it says, as he taught them, he said, is it not written My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, the temple was intended to be a place where people could go and encounter God and not just the Jews, all nations. That's why the court of the Gentiles existed so that anyone from anywhere could come and receive forgiveness for their sins And worship God. And Jesus is saying to them, people from all nations are coming here to worship my Father. And when you should be opening the door for them, instead you are making it difficult for them to come to me. You are charging unfair taxes on their sacrifices. Notice that Jesus doesn't call these men just salesmen, he flat out calls them robbers. These guys were cheating the system. They were using the plight of mankind in their search for God to make a buck for themselves. And from what we have recorded in the Gospels, this is one of Jesus' most angry moments in his ministry. Why? I believe it's because he was protecting the ones that he loves. So out of what love was he operating? Well, I believe the answer is twofold. First, I do believe Jesus was operating out of love for his father, This was his father's house, and it was being disrespected. But secondly, I believe he was operating out of love for us. Jesus was protecting the people who were seeking him, the Jews and 
Gentiles who were traveling from all over the known world in hopes of receiving forgiveness for their sins and the opportunity to worship God in response. Jesus was protecting them. If you've ever walked into a church and someone said something to you that communicated, hey, look, because of this, you are not welcome here. I personally believe, and this is just my opinion, I believe if Jesus was standing next to you, he would start flipping tables over. And here's why I believe that. Because Jesus says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And when he says that, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 56, the prophet Isaiah is addressing two groups of people eunuchs and foreign people groups. And both of those groups of people historically weren't allowed into the temple at all. They were excluded from temple worship. But God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said to those groups of people, those outcasts, he says in verse 7, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the prophecy that Jesus is quoting, and it's the prophecy that he's fulfilling. He was inviting those far from God to come to him, to be accepted by him, to receive grace. Jesus said of himself in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and to save the lost. And when some people who were so caught up in their own selfish desires got in the way of that, Jesus got really, really mad, and he demonstrated protective love. So what should we do with that today? If we are called to love one another, as I have loved you, Jesus said, so you must love one another, how should we love each other? with the protective love that God demonstrates. Well, I want to offer you two applications today, and they both center around the question, who around me needs protecting? See, Jesus cleared out those selfish, money-hungry men from the temple because his father's house is meant to be a house of prayer, a safe place for people to come and encounter God. And so who is it in your life that needs a safe place like that? See, what I think is truly amazing is that Jesus didn't just go into the temple that day and flip some tables over and leave it at that. He announced the beginning of something brand new. In Jesus's life and death and resurrection in his ministry, he said, I am creating a new temple and it will be my people. The Apostle Paul explains this to us in his letter to the Ephesians. He reminds us that we were all at one point strangers wandering around searching for God. And he says in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives 
by his spirit. Jesus was introducing something completely new. He said, you, my followers, you will be my temple. And in the same way that God desired for his physical temple to be a safe place for all people, he wants us as his followers to be that safe place for those who are seeking him. And so the first question I want you to ask yourself today is, am I a safe place for people who are seeking God? Who is it in your life that you need to invite into a safe, loving conversation about who God is? Listen, that might seem intimidating to some of you, but the good news is it's not your job to change anyone's heart. Only God can do that. Your job is to be obedient, to listen, to ask questions, and then to invite someone to read God's word for themselves in the context of that safe conversation with you. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you and I get to be that house. And our job is to invite people into it. And if that does sound really intimidating to you, I want to point you to two resources that I believe can help you. The first is called Share Jesus Without Fear by William Fay. And the other is The Personal Art of Evangelism by Will McRaney. Both of those books will give you practical tools to help you invite someone into a safe conversation about God. That person that came to mind for you, that person in your life who needs a safe place where they can ask their questions about God, that person is someone who Jesus loves and he desires to demonstrate his protective love to that person through you. So are you a safe place for people who are seeking God? And the second question I want us to ask ourselves is in 2018, how can I defend the defenseless? See, so often, I believe our protective instincts are limited to protecting ourselves and our families. Who around you needs your protection? Who needs your righteous anger, your holy discontent, it's been called? Now, I know it is all too easy to look at the chaos and pain and destruction in our world and just feel completely overwhelmed to the point of paralysis sometimes. But I would encourage you to do what Andy Stanley encourages. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Choose one and speak up on their behalf. So whether it's the orphan, the widow, people trapped in slavery, women who are oppressed, refugees, those living in poverty, those who don't have access to basic medical care or clean water, the lonely, the hurting, the suicidal, the prisoner, whoever it is. And I know even listening to that list might seem overwhelming. Just choose one. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Choose one cause or maybe just one individual person and speak up on their behalf. Use your resources and your voice to defend the defenseless. As we close, I want you to consider for a moment how beautiful and strange it is that Jesus demonstrated his love for us by coming to us as a vulnerable newborn and then carrying out that vulnerable love on the cross 
by refusing to protect himself. Remaining silent when he had the opportunity to defend himself. And in making himself completely vulnerable, even to death, he demonstrated the true beauty of protective love. Love that stands up in the face of evil and sets people free. Man, the love that God showed us through his son Jesus is so breathtakingly complex, isn't it? And we are just getting started. Come back next time because we are going to look at another surprising facet of Jesus' love that left his disciples completely bewildered. I'm really looking forward to it. I am so honored and excited that you are joining me. I am looking forward to this year of 2018 for the podcast. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. And until then... Remember to dig deep.